0: This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Morning, everyone. Our second scripture reading is just one verse. It's a very short verse from the end of the book of Deuteronomy, but it's going to set the table for today's message. So let me share it with you now. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 8. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. May God bless this reading of his word to our understanding and to the changing of our hearts towards him. Amen. Well, I do wanna thank you so much uh, Beth for your introduction and for welcoming Donna and I to worship with you today. We feel like this is a, a real privilege for us to join with you. Uh, Coming back to the North Shore here gives us a a feeling of connection for a few different reasons. Um, First of all, our son, as she mentioned, lives in Boston. He's spending the weekend with friends in Gloucester, so we're going to have the opportunity, hopefully, to see him a little later today. But being here also helps me to reconnect with my roots back to my seminary days down at Gordon-Conwell. Those were good days for Donna and I, and we remember our time here in the North Shore very, very fondly. We also feel connected because Donna's family traces their roots uh, to the North Shore all the way back to the year 1674 when her ancestor Joseph Allen landed in Gloucester and later the Allens became a very well-known cod fishing family in the North Shore region. So we, we feel a very personal connection being able to come and share with you this morning. I also feel connected because as Beth mentioned, I just retired after 22 years as a senior pastor of the New Providence Presbyterian Church in Central Jersey. We're about 30 miles uh, straight west of Manhattan. So I know what it feels like as a church goes through this season of change and transition. My old church is going through that same season, similar to what you are going through, but they're a little bit ahead of you. Uh, they just finished the search for our new senior pastor, and they did the whole search process during a global pandemic. I mean, going through a pastoral change is hard at any time in normal circumstances, but it's even more complicated when you have to do everything by Zoom meetings and masks and all the rest. But they did it. They got through it. And friends, so will you. I was able to hand the baton of leadership off to the new senior pastor as I stepped into retirement this past month. So I can empathize a little bit with you for where you are as a congregation today. Now who can tell me, when was this, this church founded? Just shout it out. 1746. It's, it's right up there, everybody should have gotten that answer because it's printed right on the wall there. Well, founded by the fam- most famously by the followers of George Whitfield. Well, I hate to tell you, my previous congregation was founded in 1737, so this is a young congregation <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But you should know that in the year 1740, the New Providence Church famously did not allow George Whitfield to preach at its church. At that time, they truly were God's frozen chosen, and they were not open to the Holy Spirit as preached by Whitfield. So consequently, he went to a nearby town where he preached outdoors under a 300-year-old oak tree to about a crowd of about 3,000 people. Uh, maybe I'm here today to atone for that mistake. Maybe that's part of why I'm here today. But I tell you that story so that you'll recognize that we also share this sense of what it means to be an historic church. Congregations with a long history. We are a different breed than churches that have just you know kind of sprung up more recently. That sense of history is really important and the weight of that history can be both a blessing and something of a burden, especially in times of uncertainty. An historic church going through change. I know what that's like. Change and transition are very hard and dealing with all the COVID stuff has just made it that much harder. We've all been through so much these past 16 months. I've heard so many people say, I can't wait until we can just get back to normal. Maybe you've said that. I know that I've said that. I can't wait until we can get back to normal. But here's the problem. That normal that we wanna go back to, it doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist because life just keeps changing. Life is a river, not a lake. It keeps moving and the COVID crisis brought some dramatic changes to how we work, how we shop, how we connect with people, how we live and how churches function. And there's no going backwards. There's no way to recreate that old world that existed in February of 2020. And so we have to move forward into some kind of a new normal. Now we all know that change is constantly happening. Change is actually the normal state of affairs. It's normal for life to keep moving. People buy and sell houses, people lose jobs, people find new jobs, people die, and new little people are born. Students graduate, people retire, pastors retire. People get married, people get divorced. All the stuff of life keeps moving so that you can never go backwards to some idyllic time. Change is normal, but it's the amount of change that makes this season of life just seem so much more stressful. So it's good to be prepared ahead of time for what this next season of transition might be like. And that's why this week and next week I wanna talk about one very important principle that I think can help folks cope both personally and as a congregation. How do you cope with a season of major transition? It's a principle from physics called parabolic harmonious oscillation. Now it took me a long time to learn how to say that without stumbling, parabolic harmonious oscillation. It's a fancy way of describing when two opposite forces actually work together to create motion. The best example of parabolic harmonious oscillation is a child on a swing set. Think back to when you were a kid playing on the playground or maybe you taught your own child or a grandchild how to swing. It's not easy to get those motions going. To swing means moving. You have to do two opposite things to get the swing moving. You have to lean back and then kick forward. You have to lean back and kick forward at the same time. You can't do one without the other. Gotta lean back and kick forward or the swing's not gonna move. And then you have to reverse it. You have to lean forward and kick back. It's those two opposite motions that actually work together to create motion for the swing. And once you get the hang of it, you can climb higher and higher and that's what makes swinging so much fun. When going through a season of change personally or as a church, it's important to kind of lean back but also kick forward. To do these two things at the same time, to lean back and kick forward. And what I mean by that is to lean back into your past. Remembering your rich history and celebrating your heritage, understanding where you've been as a congregation, but then simultaneously, you have to kick forward, embracing a renewed vision for the future and for the life of the church to come. Lean back into the past, but also kick forward into the future. Does that make sense? It's so important to do both. And so this week, uh, I want us to think about the importance of leaning back and then I get to come return next Sunday and we're gonna talk about the importance of kicking forward. So lean back for historic churches like yours, like mine. History is so important. The stories you tell about how the church was founded and what has happened in the hundreds of years this congregation has been serving God. All those stories help to shape and define who you are as a people and your unique mission, your unique calling to serve God in this community. And it's important to tell those stories about the good times and maybe the not-so-good times, because celebrating, remembering that history helps you to know who you are and what you really stand for, what you really value, because the past shapes the present. For my old congregation, the the story that they tell the most is about how the church got its name. Originally, the Puritan farmers who founded the church uh, in 1737, they named it Turkey Christian Church because of the abundance of wild turkeys in the area. In the 1750s the church was a log cabin meeting house and to fit all the people in there they laid planks across the rafters to create sort of a makeshift balcony. During a worship service something happened and all those planks separated and all the people on the top fell onto the people on the bottom including all the lumber. Everything just crashed down. But when the dust cleared they discovered that no one was injured. And the people saw that as a sign of God's providence. God's overarching care. And so they changed the name to New Providence Presbyterian Church and the town later followed suit. And boy, aren't we glad because nobody wants to be from Turkey, New Jersey. (laughs) The story about the church and the providential care of God became important because at least three times in the church's history, the congregation's membership fell to below 20 people. And the church was in danger of closing. But because of this deeply held belief in God's providence, the church hung on like a tenacious weed that refused to die. And the church came back each time. Once it took several decades, so it wasn't some instant miracle, but God was faithful and the church has always lived out its name because of its strong belief in the providence of God. Leaning back into that providential loving care of God has sustained the congregation through times of difficulty, like a year of COVID and canceling all our services and doing everything online. So you have to lean back because over the years, one of the things that I've learned about change is that every transition begins with an ending and every ending carries with it some grief. Every transition begins with an ending and every ending carries with it some grief. And that's true of good, happy transitions as well as unwelcome ones. For example, the birth of a child. How could that, you know, the birth of a healthy child, how could that be an encounter with grief? Well, for most couples, that first child is something that they've planned for, they've hoped for, they've prayed for. There were birthing classes and getting the nursery ready and doctor's appointments and times with friends and family as the excitement kind of builds. And then the baby arrives and you're kind of off to the races I mean, how could that be grief, (coughs) excuse me? Well, the new parents have to move on to this new stage of life, often without thinking about all the parts of their old life that are left behind. There's a loss of freedom, the loss of spontaneity, that kind of life disappears when you have a child. You can't just pick up and go like you used to. You can't just do whatever you please, you don't go out, you can't be with your friends like you used to. Those relationships all change because of this new relationship with the baby. And if you do go out, it takes an hour to load up all the junk into your minivan to try and get things organized. It turns out a baby is fussy and intrusive and demanding, and so your old routine is gone. There's a loss of sleep, a loss of energy, a huge fatigue factor. You don't have the energy you used to, and often there's a loss of intimacy with the couple because their relationship changes because of the baby. Their typical patterns of relating to each other, you know, get lost maybe as you add the roles of mother and father to the role of being husband and wife. There may be also a loss of change of career, a sadness over the loss of that old identity, even though having a baby is your dream come true. There can be a real sense of isolation. As one new mom writes, it seems to me I've crossed some kind of threshold and there's no going back. My old life is gone. How come nobody ever talks about that? They congratulate you on your new life, but I have to mourn the old life alone. One of the most important things to do in leaning back into the past is to recognize the importance of your grief, the importance of acknowledging and dealing with the sadness that this change brings, the emptiness that comes from loss the loss of when a beloved pastor retires. You see, grief is not just about what we feel when someone we care about dies. Grief is much, much bigger than that. We encounter grief every time we experience any kind of loss. And often we're not aware that kind of the odd, uncomfortable feelings that we're feeling, they're really coming from a place of grief. Because here in our country, generally speaking, we're not very good at grieving. We tend to underestimate the impact grief can have on life. And there's a lot of pressure in our culture to not grieve very well. You're always supposed to look like, you know, you've got it all together. So whatever the loss is, get over it and move on. That's what our culture says. Just get over it and move on. Even in the church, there can be a sense of, well, let's just get over it and move on. But a good grief is the antithesis of that. A good grief takes time to acknowledge the loss to really feel it, to lean into it, so that then you're ready to take your steps into the future. Now, I believe the Bible is a book that really understands the importance of grief. There's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. There's a whole section in the book of Psalms which are called the Psalms of Lament. Lament means the ability to express sorrow or sadness. The ancient Israelites understood how changes in their lives brought loss. And so they built lament into their worship and into the New Testament. We all take great comfort in verses like John 11:35, 35, which describes so eloquently and so simply Jesus' reaction to the news of the death of his good friend Lazarus. Two words, Jesus what? Jesus wept. It touches our hearts, reminds us That when Jesus grieves, he's fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 3. That he'll be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. That's a description of Jesus. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. If it was important for Jesus to grieve, how important must it be for us to also follow his example. Every transition begins with an ending. Every ending carries with it some level of grief. Now if you were to google leadership transitions in the Bible, the number one thing that would pop up would be the leadership transition between Moses and Joshua. How Moses on his deathbed, he passes the baton of leadership of Israel over to Joshua, whom Moses has been grooming for many decades. You can find a hundred sermons on Numbers chapter 27 or Joshua chapter 1 on the importance of having a healthy transition. And the way the Moses and Joshua that they did it right. The rituals, the blessing of the priest Eleazar, God's anointing on Joseph's life. The Moses to Joshua transition has almost become a cliche on leadership succession planning in churches. But what I didn't see, the sermons I didn't find, were the ones about the very same transition event as described in that passage I read from Deuteronomy. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days, until the time of weeping and mourning was over. Somehow that verse gets ignored, skipped over because we like the happy parts of the Bible. We like the upbeat parts where everything goes from better to best, and the, that verse, I don't know, just sounds like a downer. 30 days of mourning, I mean, we'd rather not mourn at all. So that just sounds like a really long time. Let's get on to the happy ending with a good guy's win. That's what we like. But I've always believed that it's the hard verses in the Bible that we really need to pay attention to. I believe for the Israelites, it was that grieving that then allowed the good stuff to happen when they finally cross into the promised land. The Israelites needed to acknowledge the weight of their loss, the tremendous loss that they were going through. I mean, Moses, he was their lifetime leader, the only leader they had ever known, and he's died. The one who confronted Pharaoh, the one who led them out of Egypt, who walked through the Red Sea, who guided them in the wilderness, who brought them to the very edge of the promised land, who was seemingly invincible and then he died. Now he's gone. And they needed to acknowledge how big a loss that was. They needed to just sit with it for a while and feel it. That's grief, to kind of sit with our loss for a while and feel it. It wasn't just, you know, unplug Moses and plug in Joshua. It was never going to be that easy. As a nation, they needed to acknowledge their loss. They needed to sit with it for a while. And then they needed to tell stories. For 30 days they grieved and they told stories. If you keep reading on in that chapter, verse 10 says, Since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land, for no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. To me, that's a summary of what they talked about for those 30 days. As they sat around 10,000 campfires, they told stories and shared remembrances of Moses. Remember when Moses threw down his staff and it became a snake? That always creeped me out. I hate snakes, you know? Or when he came down from the mountain with those tablets, God's commands, he was so mad that he threw them down and broke them. Boy, did he have a temper! They leaned back into their past. They told stories, all those stories that they had learned from their parents about what God had done through Moses. Storytelling becomes a key feature of the Jewish experience, passing the stories on to their children and to their children's children. Leaning back was so important to the Israelites as a people. That they preserved all those stories, eventually collected all those stories, and they put it into what we now call the Old Testament. Retelling the ancient stories was what knit them together as a people. As Beth read earlier, Psalm 78. He brought his people out of Egypt like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. He guided them safely so that they were unafraid but the sea engulfed their enemies, and so he brought them into the border of his holy land to the hill country his right hand had taken. He drove out nations before them, allotted their lands to them as an inheritance, and he settled the tribes of Israel in their homes. I believe the secret to the Moses-to-Joshua transition was actually in their grieving. The Israelites leaned back into their past, acknowledged that their loss was real, and they told stories. And that's how good grief happens. What have you lost these last 16 months since COVID began? What losses are you still going through? What losses might be coming in the months ahead? That's really important to think about individually but also as a congregation. And I really wanna encourage you, don't rush past this. Spend some time reflecting on what you have lost in the last 16 months relationships that have changed, dreams that did not come true, routines that have been altered. How has the pandemic affected your church as a a worshiping community? What have you lost because your pastor retired? I really want to encourage you to spend some time thinking about that, especially your church leaders and when you eventually get a PNC. Don't rush past it this fall without reflecting on the grief that you might be experiencing without even knowing it. And tell stories. I'm not sure why telling stories helps the grieving process. I just know that it does. It's a bit of wisdom that the Israelites learned a long time ago that talking about our losses is important. Getting children and teens to talk about their losses during COVID. That's really important to remember that that silly drive-by graduation. To remember the milestone events that were maybe missed or canceled. How it felt that first time you went into a store and you forgot your mask. And the panic that you felt. The frustration of not being able to visit someone in a hospital or in a nursing home. The first attempts to, to have a Zoom meeting. And how do you get your mic to work? What it felt like to attend church through a computer screen. It's important to tell those stories and listen to the stories of others. Now in New Jersey, one of the ways that I tried to serve my community was uh, by by volunteering as a police chaplain. And once I was asked to participate in grief sessions with a local police department, because one of their well-liked young officers was killed on his way to work in a terrible head-on collision. And so I went to the police station with two county homicide detectives who were both trained to deal with this kind of trauma. And together for three days, we met with various shifts of police officers, either individually or in small groups, just to talk about what had happened and the sudden loss of their friend. And we just start by asking, can you tell me something about him that's important to you? They were all shaken by his death, but you know, cops can be kind of a stoic bunch. But after a few moments of awkward silence, someone would tell a story, and then another, and then another, and soon the cops were laughing and crying and sobbing and hugging, all at the same time. For three days, we did that with over 120 officers because they needed to tell their stories. That's part of how you have a good grief. So as we acknowledge the reality of loss, as we tell stories, we also need times of remembrance. Rituals actually help the process of healing. Many of the people who lost loved ones in my church this past year had their grief complicated by the fact that they couldn't have a normal memorial service like they wanted. Our sanctuary was closed. People were reluctant to gather or couldn't gather. Uh, Normal rituals that helped the healing uh, process weren't really possible. And so it made their grief even harder. It's important to remember that simple rituals are a good way to acknowledge the reality of grief. Something as simple as we had a community candle lighting ceremony. We laid flowers at a memorial, saying a prayer. Those are important ways to express our emotions and to help people move through their grief onto the next step. This week I watched online the celebration that you had for Sarah Singleton. That kind of gathering is so important to celebrate her time with you and to acknowledge also the sense of sadness that comes with her departure. You did such a good job with that. I was really impressed, good job. So next week, as we talk about what it might mean to kick forward into the future, let's really remember that every beginning starts with a loss and every loss carries with it some level of grief. I know this is not a popular topic, but it is such an important one in order to have a healthy congregation as individuals, and as families, as a community, as a church family, we all need to follow this pattern of ancient Israel, acknowledge the reality of what we are leaving behind, tell each other stories that will help ease the passage to the new normal, and then you can begin to turn the page and experience hope in a brighter future. It is coming with God's help, and I know you'll be ready. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for the fact that you walk us through all the various seasons of life. You do never abandon us. You never lose track of us. Nothing is ever a surprise to you. You know what it's been like for each and one of us. Our stories are all different for this past year, trying to navigate. I can't even remember all the struggles that we went through 9, 10, 11 months ago. Maybe that's a blessing not to have to remember everything. But Lord, we know that you were in it with us. And as we look to the future, we know that you are in that too. So help us to have confidence in you and just to take the next step as you lead us into the fall. Thank you for this time and your word and may it be a blessing to us throughout this week. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.